0: of the upcoming events. Good morning. If you're a guest today we welcome you in the name of the Lord. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory and uh, we're wrapping up today a series that we've been doing on the armor of God that the Apostle Paul used. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 6 you'll see these three mannequins here in the room and we've we've utilized uh, analogies and metaphors with all three of these. This is the one that probably typically most accurately uh, depicts uh, the message that we've been sharing. Before I jump in today and we get our our text ready to share, I'll have you stand in just a moment. I want to read to you. We received a formal letter from First Christian Church, and we received a thank you note last Sunday in our 9 o'clock service. Peggy Warbritton was with us, and uh, she hand-delivered this thank you note. Let me explain to you what's going on. Uh, Every fall... Uh, actually, this year it's going to be October the 4th, we'll be receiving our miracle offering for all of our outreach ministry that we'll be doing for the next 12 months following. Last year we had a really great offering, I think it was a little over $25,000 and some change. And so we've, we've reached out in a number of ways to the community. We have a, a, a teacher outreach that's going to be for teacher appreciation that's coming up in just the next couple of weeks. Our ladies ministry will be getting ready to do that. We looked ahead and we actually uh, sort of inflated all of our figures in order to be able to uh, give away more turkeys this Thanksgiving and give away more coats to children that are in need uh, just before Christmas. And when we did that, actually padding the numbers by thousand or two thousand dollars each in buying more to be able to bless the community, we saw that we were still going to have a surplus left over. We heard about a nursing home ministry that's been being conducted solely by First Christian Church, probably for the last 20 years, reaching into an area of people that a lot of times are sort of forgotten uh, and neglected. Maybe families live somewhere else, or maybe an elderly person actually doesn't even have any family left, and they get no one to visit them. And so Peggy Warbritton from First Christian Church has been donating her time for years going down and putting together little bingo games for the for the people to come together with little prizes and the funds that First Christian Church has been doing also provides those people every one of them with a birthday gift every year and a little small birthday party and so the nursing home residents really look forward to seeing Peggy because it's always fun and the the, the, the break room or the, the, the lunch room or whatever they call it their little auditorium cafeteria area is always packed on Wednesdays when she does bingo well First Christian Church has struggled financially and so we found out that they were going to have to actually put it into the nursing home ministry and we said as a staff, that can't happen. We've got somebody who's already doing the work. She's the one in the trenches doing the work. So Victory Church gave $1,000 to be able to meet the need of that nursing home ministry. Um, Their budget's usually about $2,000 a year, and when she came in and and mentioned to me last Sunday how grateful they were, I said, look, if you need some more, we want to help you because you're the one that's doing all the work. We're we're really blessed, and we want to bless you. This is the letter. Thank you so much. Dear church, thank you so very much for your generous $1,000 donation to First Christian Church to be used in our nursing home ministry. First Christian has been affiliated with the nursing home on Avalon for well over a decade. The church provides Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, and bingo gifts for the residents Peggy Warbritten spearheads the nursing home ministry and does an excellent job. Peggy purchases the gifts, faithfully sees that the Wednesday afternoon bingo games are carried on even when she must be absent. Our congregation is small in number with limited resources and Peggy earnestly tries to be as frugal as possible while still striving to purchase nice gifts. Your donation will certainly aid in this regard. We believe the Holy Spirit leads us to assist the nursing home residents and he certainly led your congregation to help us. Thank you again, Carol Blancett, Chairman of the Board, First Christian Church, West Memphis. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. So, just want to tell you that your gift last year is still blessing a lot of folks. We we are blessed, we're excited. I want you to begin to pray. October the 4th will be our miracle offering which will carry us into... Uh, 2016. So we're excited about that. Th- today is the conclusion of this series on suited, and um, I'm really excited about it because I think it's going to answer a lot of questions. Particularly, uh, if if you've come to victory, maybe had a, a, a different kind of background, then maybe uh, a little less expressive in worship, and kind of wonder, you know, where we stand on some of these issues regarding the Holy Spirit. Because this this text really demands that we pay some careful attention to it. And so today, I'd like you if you'd stand with me, please. We want to catch up with what we've been memorizing from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 is our series text. And then the message text for today is verse 18. I'm actually going to read the context from 12 through 18. And then when we get to 18, you can catch up and read with me. So let's start together here, everybody. Uh, with Ephesians chapter 6. Title of the message today is Praying in the Spirit. And our text begins in Ephesians 6.10. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's the part we've been saying every week. The purpose of the armor of God is to equip us to be able to stand strong in battle. And it's God's armor. So when we put his armor on and we walk onto the battlefield, then the enemy has to tremble in fear. So as I read, let me just pick up from here. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Everybody say, in the evil day. And having done all to stand, to stand firm, stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth, and this is the order in which we preach these messages, uh, seven prior to this. We talked about the battle, and then there are six pieces of literal armor, then we'll finish up today with praying in the Spirit. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Here we are now in verse 18, read out loud with me, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. It says, to to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. So we have just read in review, that's all the review I'm going to do. We've read the, the context about all of these pieces of armor of truth and faith and peace and righteousness, salvation in our minds, the word of God in our mouths, and then we're going to talk today about praying in the spirit. Let's pray together. Father, help us today as we open this word. I ask you in the name of Jesus, even as the Proverbs says, Proverbs 20 verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. God, I ask you to give us that today, hearing ears and seeing eyes. Don't let us be like the multitudes that stood before Jesus and he regularly said, the most repeated phrase of Jesus' ministry was, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And every person on the Side of the mountain, on the open plain, hearing the Sermon on the Mount, every one of them had ears on the sides of their head, but they didn't have spiritual ears to hear the voice of the Lord. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see today. I pray right now, because I am totally dependent upon you. I ask you to help me to be precise and clear. Help me to be concise. And I ask you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence. Of the Lord, do you love Jesus? Say Amen. All right. So we want to first of all, um, this is going to be a little bit laid back. It's not really kind of a fiery, preachy kind of message, but definitely more on a teaching side. We want to ask some questions as we begin. You have these actually printed in your notes. Uh, Hopefully, you picked up one of those on the way in. Um, We ask the question: What is praying in the spirit? Because the text clearly says praying at all times in the spirit. And it's a capital S. The authors of the authorized version, which is the King James 1611 authorized version, um, and previous translations prior to that have used, in order to differentiate between the human spirit and the Holy Spirit, a lowercase s for the human spirit and a capital S to signify the Holy Spirit. Because if you think about it, being able to bring differentiation between those two can be pretty important because otherwise we can start to subscribe uh, things or ascribe is the correct term, things to the human spirit that otherwise only the Holy Spirit can do. And we might be saying things that the Holy Spirit would do that don't, that the human spirit would do. And we want we don't want to confuse those things, okay? Because there is obviously a distinction. I believe... That the spirit of man is the place where the Holy Spirit of God abides. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, uh, 16 says, Know you not, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about the body, we're talking about three parts: spirit, soul, and body. First Thessalonians 5:23, the Apostle Paul says, I-, I pray the God of peace sanctify you, holy spirit, soul, and body. And there are those that would put together the two, spirit and soul, and that's fine. Uh, I think there is a is a specific demarcation because what we just studied a couple of weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces and even divides joints and marrow. Those are two things that are so closely associated that you're talking about having to uh, surgically open it up to see the distinction between the two. They're they're joined together, joints and marrow. It says, and spirit and soul, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So the Word of God brings the differentiation even between spirit and soul. My soul is my mind, my will, my emotions. Uh, My mind is what I think, my will is what I want, my emotions are what I feel. But that's different from the spirit of man, the Bible says in Job 32, eight, there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. Inspiration meaning to breathe into. Uh, Proverbs 20.27 20, says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. So when, when your candle has been lighted by God, when the spirit that is in you, the human spirit made in the image of God becomes the habitation for the capital S, Holy Spirit, then you have the light turned on in your darkness. You're no longer dead, but you're now alive in Christ. If you believe that, say amen. Okay, so so just some simple review as we talk about this because I want you to understand what is being said when it says praying in the spirit. Now, there is a, um, has been a move in the last several years, I think that has sort of blurred the lines between the evangelical and the charismatic. Uh, All Charismatic Pentecostals are Evangelical, meaning we believe in the born-again experience, but all Evangelicals aren't Charismatic or Pentecostal, okay? Charismatic Pentecostal, charismata means the grace gifts. We believe that they are in operation today. I am not a cessationist. I do not believe that God parenthetically, in one little bitty tiny space, gave great miracles to confirm His Word and then said, okay, finally, when you get this book, My whole purpose was just to put a book in your hands, and you've got a book now, so since you have a book, you don't really need anything else. You you can lay a book on somebody that's sick. Even if it's the Holy Bible, it's not going to heal them. You need the power and the presence of God, the miraculous presence of God, and, and, and unless you hear somebody teach that and preach that, then we don't have faith that arises in the hearts of the people, and they don't make a demand on the promises of God. Now, the reason you see people get saved is because somebody stands up and preaches the gospel of salvation. But what I've been trying to help everybody at Victory here see for years is that gospel isn't just only a heaven-hell issue. It is not merely salvation from sin, but it's salvation from everything that is under the curse of the law of sin and death. That includes sickness and sin and poverty and ignorance and all of those things that are under the curse. The gospel in Jesus Christ has come to free us. He himself became a curse for us. Now we're not dead, we're alive. We're not the old man, we're a new. We're, we're, we're walking in newness of life because the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, capital S, now dwells in my human spirit and I've been made alive in Christ. Come on, help me a little bit. I know I said I'm going to teach, but I, I, I kind of have to help stir you a little bit, okay? So what is praying in the spirit? That's the question because the Apostle Paul says... After he gives us six pieces of armor, which I think is interesting because God is always very particular about numbers. Six is very incomplete because it's the number of man. Seven is the number of God. Seven is the number of completion, the number of God's perfection. We talk about in... What is it? Uh, Isaiah 11 in Revelation chapter 1, the seven spirits of God. Doesn't mean God has seven different spirits, but it literally means that it takes these seven descriptors to give us a picture of the greatness of God's spirit the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of knowledge, all of those things that Isaiah 11 gives us a picture of. Okay, seven is, is perfect. So I, I think that if we were to stop and only give you six literal pieces and we don't cap the thing off with this last thing that the Apostle Paul said do, then we would have some cool armor. We might understand belted truth and shoes of peace and helmet of salvation and shield of faith and a sword of the Spirit and, and, and all of these different things that we've talked about, but it all has to be put together with this issue of prayer. And it's a specific kind of prayer. Praying in the Spirit. And so the second question would be, well, pastor, isn't all prayer by a believer praying in the Spirit? And I think that's probably a logical question to ask. And I would say no. I don't think uh, even when we haven't even yet talked about the distinguishing of a prayer language here. Let's just talk about everything that we do in English I don't think I'm always in the spirit every time I pray a prayer because I've asked for some things that, thank God, God didn't answer my prayer. How many remember when Elijah was discouraged and he said, God, just kill me? And Job cursed the day he was born. How many of you know those guys weren't in the spirit when they were praying that? How many of you know sometimes we can get angry with enemies and we can try to call fire down from heaven and God told the sons of thunder, which he named them this, James and John, he said, wait a minute, you don't even know what spirit you're of. That's not the way to go about it. So, yes, I've prayed some things that have definitely not been in the Spirit. Now, they might have been in my spirit, but they weren't in the Holy Spirit. Come on, are you hearing me? So, if if we can acknowledge that every time you open your mouth and say, Oh, Lord, does not mean that you're actually praying according to the will of God or praying... Uh, the Spirit of God about a set of circumstances. So we want to qualify this. What is praying in the Spirit? Now, second point, we have to be people who are committed to interpreting Scripture with Scripture. Let the Word of God say what the Word of God says. It is the first place we approach, it is the final authority. After the debate is ended, the Word settles it. What does the Word say? So we recognize that anytime we look at a passage, we examine the part as it relates to the whole. Because if you don't, you can very easily cherry pick one portion of Scripture, and if you don't examine it from a systemic or a systematic approach in terms of what the Bible has to say overall about that whole subject, uh, you can just sort of really, you know, like a, like a lawyer, go before the bar of heaven and pick your favorite verses and hold them up to God, and God says, well, okay, that's good, that's my word, but you don't have the full picture here. And too many times we try to go before the bar of heaven like a lawyer and present our case, and we we pick the favorite verses that we like that support our case. We use them as proof texts, and we we, we fail to recognize that every one of those parts has to fit into the whole, and and the whole has to fit into the purpose of God. Somebody say amen, all right? So context is key. Context is critical. Uh, It's not just take one line out of a paragraph, but that... Line rests in that paragraph, that paragraph sits in that chapter, the chapter sits in that book, the book sets in the covenant, whether it's new or old, and then that sits in the whole of the whole word of God. So Paul said in Acts 20, I have not failed to preach to you the whole counsel of God's word. Uh, it's, It's real easy sometimes to sort of get into a flow or a denominational persuasion, a particular theology, and really think that's the end. And I just want to tell you that that we can learn and drink from different streams, and I have for years. I love it. The body of Christ is very much like the old covenant nation of Israel. There is one holy nation, but there are many tribes, and they all don't do things exactly the same. There is one body of Christ, but there are many members. Just like your individual body is a microcosm, it is a small picture of the larger body of Christ because everybody's not a thumb or a finger or a hand or a foot or a toe or a kneecap or an ear, or an eye, all of these come together. We all, as members in particular, don't serve the same function, but unless we're walking in our particular function, the body is out of line and out of order, and it can never be what it was called to do or be. Amen? All right, so context is critical. The part fits in the whole. We have to look at the message. We have to understand who the messenger is. We have to recognize who the audience is. Who is it being spoken to? The language, the words that were used. Sometimes there's a a huge gap between what was understood 2,000 years ago and how they heard the word liberty or freedom or praying in the spirit and maybe how we hear it today. Because we come, no matter how hard you try, every one of us comes with a set of colored glasses that is our own particular experience, our denominational backgrounds, the families in which we were raised, the culture in which we've been raised up, uh, all affects our attitude toward God and our faith toward His Word. Somebody say amen. Amen. So we have to look at the history. We have to look at the culture. So today I just want to take a few minutes, and I'm going to do a verse-by-verse through the 14th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians because I think it will help us to see what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. Somebody said, well, why would we need to go to Corinthians to figure out what Paul was saying in Ephesians? Well, because he wrote both books. And he defines the terms praying in the Spirit in Corinthians. Something that he assumed that everybody at Ephesus understood and knew. Now, let me just ask you this question here. I put this in red in my notes. What would you think if I stood up and preached a message today here at Victory about an important Bible topic and then went over to Nashville and preached in a friend's church something entirely different, not in the sense of variety, but in the sense of contradiction? If I say it's one way here and I say it's another way in the church at Nashville, then I wouldn't be very faithful to the body of Christ, would I? So it wouldn't make sense for Paul to mean one thing to the Ephesians and mean something else to the Corinthians, no more than it would for me to preach in West Memphis one thing and go to Nashville and preach something that contradicts it, okay? So we're going to define the terms. It, is, it makes sense that Paul is a consistent Bible teacher teaching the churches because he's written all these letters. So as we open up and we go verse by verse through chapter 14, let me just say that it is very easy to get into a flow. And the flow has been um, our understanding, our our tradition, the way we do church, the way we do service has been affected by the family we grew up in and the church experience that we were exposed to. And so what we want to see is let the Word speak, And then be able to make adjustments uh, with our experience and with our culture, but always letting the word be the final authority. Would you agree with that? Okay. Now, let me just say this. I have always for years identified myself jokingly as a Baptocostal. And if I were really technical, I would tell you that I'm actually a Presby (laughs) Baptomethicostal. And that's not an attempt to try to make everybody happy because I left several out. But it's, it is very true because there are aspects of the word that every one of those movements like streams of water. The Bible says in, in uh, Psalm 46, there is a river, singular, whose streams, plural, make glad the city of God. So there's one river, many streams. Now the problem is, is that oftentimes people in the stream that they're in think they're the river. And everybody else over there, as another tributary, is in their, their, their brackish water, their polluted water, their stuff is not as good as ours in, in the Church of Christ stream, or in the United Pentecostal stream, or in the Roman Catholic stream, or in the Southern Baptist stream. A- and, and the fact of the matter is, just like there was one nation, many tribes, there is one river, many streams. Come on, this is all over the word. There's one body, many members. Jesus said in, in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. There's one vine, but there are many branches. Now, we're all part of the same tree. We're all tied to the same root, the same stock that is Christ. And, and you can look around the, the, the large tree and you can recognize that there's some limbs over there that aren't connected to you at all, but they're connected to the same trunk that you are. And so it makes them a, a, a brother or sister in Christ. Well, maybe you might say, okay, I might recognize them as a cousin, an outlaw maybe. But what you've got to realize is this tree of Christianity, this thing called the body of Christ, is bigger than any one group, and we have a problem when one stream starts thinking they're the river. Yeah. So, you know, we associate words. For example, the word grace, and you think of Baptist, and you, sovereignty, or election, and you think of Presbyterian. Uh, old line holiness, you think of Methodist or Nazarene. Uh, Holy Spirit gifts, speaking in tongues, you think of Pentecostal. And you know what? The the tragedy of that is, is that every one of those are Bible words, and they shouldn't necessarily be associated with any one particular group or stream, because all of them are the water of the word, and all of those things are actually flowing in some degree or another in all of those streams, some of them overemphasized in one, some of them de-emphasized in another. Okay, So today... My desire as a pastor is not to make us any of those names, but to make us a Bible church, to make us a Christ-centered, spirit-filled community of believers that love Jesus and love each other. Come on, are you on board with that this morning? Okay, so as we roll into this, I just want to say that having grown up and been a part of a number of different parts of the streams of the river of the body of Christ, uh, I've seen times where... Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is always emphasized in the Pentecostal Church and ignored in the Baptist Church. 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, is always emphasized in the Baptist Church, maybe not so much in the Pentecostal Church. And 14 is ignored in the Pentecostal Church. And when I read it, you'll understand why. Now I'm going to explain myself as we go, so we're going to take this a little time. Here we go. So 12, 1 Corinthians 12 is about the gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. Now, look at what he says as we open 14.1. He says, pursue love. What chapter is that? 13. Everybody say 13. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. What chapter is that? Everybody say 12. Okay, so Paul is pulling together. He's talked about gifts, the Pentecostal experience in chapter 12. He's talked about love in chapter 13 which every good Southern Baptist has had emphasized, okay? But this is what Paul says. He says, you know what, guys? I want you to have both of these. Not just the fruit of the Spirit, as in love, joy, peace. Not just the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but you need both. The character of God and the power of God. You you don't need to have one without the other. It's not either or, but it's both and. Pursue love And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Here we go, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in what? Look at it. In the Spirit. There's that phrase right there. Everybody say, in the Spirit. That's interesting. Because Paul said in Ephesians 6, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. So this is one of those phrases that he uses regularly. Just like he talks about being in Christ, in the Spirit is a term that Paul writes about. So we've just heard the definition. When someone speaks in a tongue, they're not speaking to men, but to God. And they're uttering mysteries. Mysteries in the Spirit. So they're speaking in a language that's not understood and they're speaking mysteries. They're talking to God in mysteries, in the Spirit. Verse 3, here we go. On the other hand... The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, King James says edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's kind of old school English for build up, stir up, cheer up. What's the one common word that defined all three of those words? What was it? Everybody say up. So when someone gives you a prophetic word, you ought to leave up, you ought to leave encouraged. This is the reason when people come to victory and they go out of here feeling like they can take on hell with a water pistol because that's what the gospel does. It stirs you up. It builds you up. It cheers you up. You leave up. Even if you're broken in sin and you repent and you cry and call out to God, you were dead, but now you're up because you're alive in Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Too many churches, folk get the fire beat out of them and the, and, 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 the, and the lower place scared out of them because that's the way the guy's motivated. He feels like I've got to keep them out of hell so I've got to scare it out of them every Sunday. And you're not, you're not stirred up, you're not built up, you're not cheered up. If anything, you leave down. And you live all week long out of down because, man, I'm just low good, I'm no good, I'm low down, I'm just a worm, I'm just an old sinner, I've got to sin every day because that's what you got told you were going to do on Sunday. But you come to victory and you hear, you know what? Yes, I was a sinner, but now I'm a saint in Christ. My life has been changed. Now, I still sin, but I have a choice. And I can get forgiveness. And I don't have to stay bound in that. I I have deliverance. Salvation is not just saving me from the penalty of sin and fire, but it's saving me from the power of sin so that I can walk free and I can have liberty in Christ. Come on, somebody. Are you getting anything out of this? All right. So he says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation. Up, 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 up. Okay? Build up, stir up, cheer up. The one who speaks in a tongue, what? Read it builds up himself. Okay? So uh, praying in the Spirit, speaking in a tongue, then, and if you've come from any kind of a Pentecostal background, it was sort of just the norm. It's what you did, and it's how the service was conducted. And that's the reason you won't hear a Pentecostal church really ever spending a lot of time in in chapter 14 because it restrains a lot of that and it pulls it back into some limits, okay? Now, we don't want to limit the Holy Spirit in any kind of way. I know just by using that word right then that I probably set somebody on red alert, but I want you to stay with me. Let's get this. He says, Then the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church, Now, what I do in my car, listening to worship music, what I do on my face, laying on the floor in the office, praying and interceding over this church, you bet your bottom dollar it's rolling. I'm I'm praying in the Spirit, and I'm building myself up. Okay? But when I get up here, my motivation is not just to build myself up. My motivation is to build you up. I want to build up the church. Are you following? Here we go. Verse 5 Now I want you all to speak in tongues. This is what Paul said. So don't anybody come away going, oh, well, that's not for today. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Why? Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So that here it is again, what? So that the church, what? May be built up. Okay, stay with me. We're going to roll now. I'm going to get a good section about six or seven verses real quick. Now, brothers... If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So he's giving us an analogy of the one who signals with a trumpet call on the battlefield. If it's not clear, people don't know what to do. Since you're eager for manifestations. Now, I'm going to tell you, as your pastor, I am eager to see the the Spirit of God move in this church. I want to see people get saved. I want to see them filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to see miracles happen. I want to see people get healed. I want bondages to break, chains to fall off of people, marriages to get back together, finances to be loosed. Everything you can imagine that the gospel promises, I'm eager for that. I want to see it happen. We are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. He said, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, capital S, strive to excel in building up the church. Now, who are we trying to build up here? Okay, so when I pray in a tongue, who am I building up? Myself. But when I come to the church with the people of God, it's all about building you up. It's building one another up. Here we go. Verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, let me just stop right here and just say that there was a lot that we did as Pentecostals, and that's what I grew up in. That was my mother tongue. That was my background. That's uh, that's the home cooking okay, that I grew up in. And it was just kind of a free-for-all, and everybody was jumping and hollering and a lot of excitement, and there was power, and we saw miracles happen. Undeniably so. A lot of very wonderful stuff. I'm grateful. Uh, There was some stuff that I've had to see get adjusted in my walk with God as I've matured, as I've gotten into the Word more and learned, and and the Lord has taught me. There are things that I do by myself in my time, in my prayer time, that you would never see me do out here because people would think I was a raving lunatic. I've done crazy stuff. I've done it because I knew the Lord prompted me to do that. Just like last Sunday when I told you that I got out there and walked that property, that 30 acres in my bare feet because God gave me the word and said every place where the sole of your foot touches, I'm going to give it to you. And I was out there walking that, praying, trusting God for that property to get paid for. Now, a lot of people who don't understand that think that's crazy. And there was a lot of things that happened in some of those services that I was growing up that really were just flesh. Let's just tell the truth. It was people getting excited and over-responding instead of being a little bit disciplined. And, 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 And let me just say this. I would rather there be a little bit of exuberance that has to kind of be pulled back than to try to raise the dead every Sunday. Come on. I'd rather have a little bit of wildfire that we have to try to sort of kind of rein in a little bit and have the Spirit of God moving and the people be alive in Christ, then it looked like we're sitting around in a mortuary together. Come on, are you hearing me? A bunch of God's frozen chosen. So, but there was some stuff that went on that really just wasn't even biblical. And we just sort of learned to accept it because everybody there recognized just this whole experience. It was a normative experience to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And there were a lot of things that were done and when you got it. I had somebody on one side pulling on me, the other one side saying, hang on. And somebody saying, let go. And somebody say, say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Somebody say, glory, glory, glory. And I'm going, what in the world is going on? And, and we've never done that kind of stuff. I, I'm probably pulling back the curtain and showing you. Some of you probably been around. Have you, have you been around some of that stuff? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe a little bit? We don't have to do that childish, immature stuff. Because we don't have to um, be afraid to try to work up something. I want the Spirit of God to move, but I'm not going to get in the flesh and try to make it happen. That's what you see a lot of times on television. It just becomes flesh. Uh, now, now do you all love me when I say that? Because I, 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 I don't want the flesh because the flesh stinks. I want the Spirit of God. Now, we're still humans, and sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you're going to get in the flesh a little bit. And so we have to, we have to be governed by the Spirit and by the Word of the Lord and by mature leadership. Now here we go. Look at verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now what did he just say? If I pray in a tongue, what's praying? Notice it's a little less. My spirit is praying, but I'm praying in the Spirit Because that's what 1 Corinthians 14, 2 said back there. When I pray in a tongue, I'm speaking mysteries in the Spirit, capital S. Okay, So my spirit is praying now filled with the capital S, the Holy Spirit. And he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, that's the tongue. But I will pray with my mind also. He says, I will sing praise with my spirit. Now, you know what? I do that, but I don't do it in the microphone. I don't do it in the microphone so that it's just literally ringing out all over the whole room and everybody's going, what's he saying? And we've got guests and visitors that are coming in, and maybe they've never experienced something like that. And so, remember the focus is, when I come in here, I've already built myself up all week long sitting out behind my courtyard on the bench Weeping and crying and worshiping and in the word and praying and praying in the Holy Ghost, building up myself because I want to have something to give so that when I come in here, it's not about i got to get myself caught up and built up. I've come to build you up. Now, I just said something that's very vital right there. And if you'll hear that, it will change your walk with God. If you'll quit being a beggar and showing up here on Sunday morning, not talking to God all week long and then waiting to get a word only on Sunday morning... Come on, if you'll build yourself up in your holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost all week long, you'll come in here ready to give something and not merely to only receive something from the Lord and we'll build each other up in faith. Look at this. He says, verse 16, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, that's in a tongue, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For, if, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. You are. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's the Apostle Paul. He says, nevertheless. Now, what did he just say? I talk in tongues more than all of you. But, nevertheless, in church, I would rather you speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, I can get up here. And just go off. Greek word glossolalia, we get the word glossary from it. It is language, it's words. And I can begin to pray in the Spirit right now. And if I don't stop and give some interpretation to it, everybody here is just going, okay, what's going on? Pastor Michael's just out there in the twilight zone somewhere. Are you hearing me? Okay. Now, as a Pentecostal, we grew up with that. If you were Baptist, nah, uh, that you know what? You know what? Verse, rush ahead to the end uh, of the very chapter, verse 40. It says, but all things should be done decently and in order. You know what that means in the Baptist church? That's code for we don't do that stuff around here. <laughs> That's exactly what that means in the Baptist church. But let me just ask you, if you're really faithful to the text... Let everything be done. What, what is everything? Everything he's just talked about for three chapters. If, it's going, if you're going to obey the word, then let it be done, but let it be done decently in order. So we have to learn how to flow in the spirit and teach people how to respond to the presence of God because no matter whether you think it's the spirit of God making you do something or not, how you respond is a learned behavior. Because the same spirit in the room, some people will jump and hoop and others will cry. And so you learn how to respond and you learn how to maintain some order and some dignity because the Bible says that God is the God of peace and not of confusion. Are you hearing me? Now, I'm eager for manifestations of the spirit, but the principle here is let it be governed by the fact that we're coming together to build up the church and not merely just kind of get my little bit of a spiritual excitement on. Okay, are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, you can leave full, you can leave excited, and and we want to do that around here. I want to see the gifts of the Spirit of God operate in this church more than I have ever have before, but we will do it. You've seen here. You get anything out of this? All right, let me see if I can't wrap up because I'm already over. Um, Let me just get a couple more scriptures here. He says, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather you speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And the law is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, even when they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, but for believers. Verse 23. "If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? There's been a few Pentecostal services I've been in that I think that could accurately describe it. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That passage right there, that line, for me, governs this whole thing. More than anything, when somebody comes in this place, I want them to leave going, I didn't necessarily understand everything that I just saw. There's some excitement in the worship. Sometimes the music's a little loud. People are raising their hands. But I'm going to tell you, I've never experienced the presence of God like I did when I was in that place. God is in that place. And it's not in the building. The building's ugly. It's pitiful. It's fallen apart. But God is among those people. Those people get together. They worship God. God shows up. That's what we're looking for. We want the Spirit of God to change the lives and the hearts of people. Now, so... We've already seen it. We've defined it. If you look back to verse 14, Paul says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So the whole thing as we culminate, as we end this message, this series, is that we're to have a belt of truth governing everything, holding it all together. We're to be protected by righteousness and garbed, By a stand now with God, a relationship that is based on what Jesus did and not what I do. Okay? He's already bought it. I'm righteous in Christ. I have a shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. I have the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken word of God. And I put all this together. I'm walking into a battle, but I'm literally walking in peace. I'm gelling with Magellan. I'm walking in peace. Because even in the middle of the battle, I know that the the victory's already been won. I'm walking in the peace of God that is mine, okay? And all of these things, the Scripture says, when you put all this together, the seventh, I believe this is the seventh piece of weaponry, pray in the Spirit. Now, let me just say this to you. This is not a salvation issue. Because when you got saved as a Methodist or a Baptist or a Lutheran or whatever, your stream that empties into the greater river of the body of Christ, whatever it was, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came into your heart and into your life. He is there. He is the residing one. Now, you don't need something else to come into you because He's already there. But you just need to, in faith, say, move in my life. Activate these gifts that are already there, that are already resident on the inside of me. I remember a few years ago, I bought some software to study the Bible. And I I, I bought a particular plan, and I think it was like $249, and I had like two or three discs and CDs that came with it, or DVDs, whatever. This has been years back. We were operating on PC at the time. And so, some new translations came out, and I wanted those new translations. And so, I called the company, and I said, Do do you, you know? I want to give you a credit card number because I'd like to get these translations to study along with. And the guy said, "Well, you don't. I don't have to send you anything. I just need to give you a code because actually those translations are already on your CDs. You just have to be able to unlock it." And that kind of made me mad. I thought I've had this all along. I just didn't know how to access it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I've had everything here. It's already at my disposal, but I just didn't have the code to be able to get into it and unlock it for that to begin to operate in my life. It's already there. So what I'm telling you is you don't need some kind of another experience. The Holy Spirit's already inside of you. You just need to unlock, let Him unlock all of the gifts because He is the giver. He is the Holy Spirit. They all came with Him when He moved in. And it's it's like anything else. You just never really thought about doing that because you've been taught wrongly that none of that is for today and you shouldn't really try to stretch your faith to believe for those kinds of things. One of the books I read at the beach was by Eric Metaxas called Miracles. This is a Yale graduate who who grew up in a Greek Orthodox home who had a true born-again experience filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit he wrote a book, uh, a biography about Bonhoeffer, which is one of my heroes of the faith who stood against Hitler in World War II. And Eric is a tremendous thinker and writer and author. And he, this, is this latest book, I would encourage you, if you need some strength in your biblical understanding about a case for miracles for today, then this thing will absolutely set you on fire because it's not only going to give you a biblical case for it, but it's going to give you hundreds of testimonies of people's lives who've been changed by putting their trust in God to move, to heal them, to open doors for them. Every one of these things is an undeniable miracle. This book's called Miracles, a little yellow cover. Uh, I would encourage you to read it because it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful text. So what am I saying as I close this this morning? We've got, we've got two more passages. Go ahead, guys, if you would, please, and give me. I want you to look to Jude verse 20. Two more things in your notes there. Jude 20 says this. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up. Now, remember, what did we first learn just a little while ago in 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and 3? When you pray in tongues, you're what? Building up what? Yourself. So this isn't just a Pauline definition of praying in the Spirit, but this is a body-wide because we've got another apostle by the name of Jude who says the same thing. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in The Holy Spirit. I've got three translations here. Let's get it real quick. Give me the next one. The KJ, King James says it this way. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So when I'm praying in the Spirit, Paul's already told me in 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and 3, that I'm building myself up. I'm, I'm getting stronger. My faith is growing. Jude tells me that my most holy faith is increasing as I do that, okay? Give me one more. NLT, New Living Translation says, But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're not just talking about using words that are understood, but by yourself, build yourself up so that you can be a blessing to and build others up. Do we have one more? Is that it? Yeah, the message. But you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in this most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, I probably created more questions this morning, maybe for some of you, than I did answers, and that's fine. I'm not here to prove. You might disagree. This is a non essential of the faith. Whether or not you speak in tongues is not an issue of your going to heaven. I'm very careful that when we do our foundations classes and people come in from all kinds of backgrounds, I say, Look, I just want you to know this is part of my heritage. It gave me an undeniable experience with the Spirit and the presence of God, that nobody can ever tell me any other way. Because I've experienced it. I've got the word to, to, to stand on, to substantiate it. And so I just want to say to you, rather than you hearing me say, you have to have this, you have to be just like me, because that's not what at all I'm saying. Not doing that. Not saying that at all. This is not a salvation issue. This is an empowerment issue. This is an issue that will strengthen you in your walk and in your relationship with the Lord. You don't need a preacher to wave his coat at you. I don't need to slap you on the head and knock your wig off the way I saw sometimes happen when I was a kid. Listen, I was the organ guy. I was the pump man. I'm Under the tent, I did all the stuff. They rolled around in the sawdust in some meetings that I was in. And, uh, you know, some of it was just some nonsense, but there were some people who really did get some help. There were folks that got off of alcohol and off of drugs and their lives changed. So there was a lot of good. So when I say it, I'm not being critical of all that good stuff. Okay? One last verse and I'm finished this morning. Here we go. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil... Basically, Jesus is using the Hebrew idiom of comparison. He's basically saying, look, you guys love your kids, and you're not going to do that kind of thing. And between you and God, God is good, you're evil. But even you being evil, look at this. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, read it out loud, the rest of it with me, here we go. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is not a show this is not a lot of what unfortunately gets misrepresented sometimes on Christian television. This is you right here in this moment as we close the service, merely saying, God, I don't understand all that he's talking about today, but I want whatever you want for me. I want my relationship with you to be so real and to be so powerful that I not only read a book that is a living book, but i also learned to hear your voice not up here but down here i learned to hear the still small voice of the spirit of god speaking to me and god will share intimacies with you personally in the very same way that a husband and a wife share intimacies together that you you wouldn't share in a public setting because their conversations their Affection. There are times together where you're opening your heart in a very vulnerable kind of way. I think that there are intimacies that are to be shared between the individual believer in Christ. That we don't. It's like, it's like PDA, public displays of affection. Sometimes you know. And I don't want to get carnal here, but you know, you just see some some kids out at the mall and you want to go. Okay, y'all need to tone it down. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Because they're just they're just some things that are meant that are private. And I think your spiritual walk has those same kinds of qualities of things that the Lord wants to bring to speak to you that is very unique. I believe that the way God talks to Jerome is different than the way he talks to me. It's different the way he talks to, to Clint and the different than the way he talks to Rachel. And, and I believe the, the beauty of that is is because God has a unique relationship with every one of you in this room. And he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Bible says in in Psalm 25, 14, it says, the secret of the Lord is with them that know his covenant. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will make them to know his covenant. If we learn to walk with the Lord and not just give him our grocery list, but we learn to pray and then learn to listen, I promise you, you will start hearing the voice of the Lord in your life, and you'll begin to experience things The presence of God, and it's not all about having a a hair stand up on the end kind of feeling. Sometimes I have that, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I weep. Sometimes I shout because I literally feel like I can get up and run around my yard because I get so filled with the fire of God. Now what I'm trying to tell you is, is that there are things that I experience by myself that I bring it into a place of kind of reining it in. Although I'll say this, John Wesley said, if you want to draw a crowd, set yourself on fire and they'll come out just to see you burn. That's the great Methodist preacher. Would to God that Methodist preachers actually did what Wesley said today. As I close this service this morning, I believe that the vast majority of you know God. You have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you. But I have to, I think I would miss the Lord if in closing this service, I didn't say, if there was... Someone who has never for the first time said, Holy Spirit, come into me. I want to be born again. Change my life. Transform me. Forgive my sins. Those simple words right there available as Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. That first time is a unique experience. And with that first time, all that God is, He brings with Himself. And he moves into you as his tabernacle. And it'll change your life. Hearing about God will inform you, but experiencing God will transform you. And you need to be transformed. I need to be transformed. If that's you this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I, I don't understand all that you're saying, but I want to know Jesus. I want to know God. I want to I know that I have peace with him. If I were to die today, I would go to heaven. I would be in his presence. That's you with every head bowed, every eye closed. And you would just say, Pastor, pray for me. Would you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you right now. Yes, I see that. There's one hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this individual who raised his hand. I pray, oh God, that you move and touch, bring confidence of the walk of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Right now, we simply cry out and say, Jesus, save me. I trust you. Lord, for everyone else in the room this morning, I believe that there are people here today that have been encouraged with, a, with fresh faith, a fire that has been ignited to say, I want more of God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want whatever you have for me. And if that's you, if you're just saying, I want the Holy Spirit to, to show himself strong in my life. I want the Holy Spirit to fill me afresh again today. If that's you, slip up your hand right now. In the name of Jesus, Father, thank you for those around this room. Lord, for gifts and callings, for destiny, for future, for decisions, for lives that are sitting right here in the balance right now. Thank you, Lord, that the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit sometimes is the thing that makes such critical difference. Lord, I thank you for the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. and That you show us how to use them. But God, thank you that you teach us how to pray at all times in the spirit. Lord, thank you that these that are raising their hands right now and say, I, I want more of the Lord. Father, whatever that is, even as they have a private prayer time with you, lay across the bed or get on the floor, or driving down the highway, listening to worship music. God, I just pray that you just fill them afresh. Right now in this moment, we just say, Jesus, fill us afresh. Fill me full, Lord, of your Holy Spirit. I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to be all that you've called me to be. In Jesus' name, God's people said.
1: Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, you're blessed by that this morning. Give God some praise this morning. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for that awesome teaching uh, on what it is to pray in the Spirit. How many of you are thankful this morning that we have the Spirit of the living God, come on, living on the inside of us? If you made a fresh start this morning, you can see Miss Sherry back there under the fresh start table. We've got a a gift for you. It's a a New Life uh, or the Abundant Living Translation of the New Testament. How many of you know that God has asked us, and and if we really want to get the Word inside of us, we have to get in the Word in the first place. Amen. So we want to encourage you. Start there. Pick up that copy of the New Living Translation or the Abundant uh, Life Translation over there under the fresh start table. And, And start right there. God has so much. To give to each and every one of us, amen. I'm just so excited about that. If you are a covenant member or regular attender, it is time to, to take the offering today. I got a couple of scriptures, just want to read you. This is found in uh, Philippians, right here. Really gives us some good context. Listen to what Paul writes to the Philippian church He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, amen. He goes on to say this. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, giving and receiving. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Listen to this. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Amen. Wow. What an amazing example right there. So when we are actually sowing that, we're, we're, we're sowing out of obedience, but it's more than that. It's the fruit that we receive out